Hey everybody, this is Pastor Luke McDonald, and this is the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're going to find two things in this feed in this season. You're going to find Sunday sermons from our church in Palatine, Illinois, and you're going to find an occasional little piece of content that is towards our initiative to try to help our church read the Bible more regularly. It's called Good With Our Bibles. We're trying to read the Bible regularly, and we're trying to interpret it accurately. And that's what you're going to find in this feed. We are a multi-ethnic Bible teaching life-giving church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background. And uh, it helps us, anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church. We're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community. And if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. My friend Jake Sweetman from C3 Church in LA and his wife Nicole are here. And I can't wait for you to meet him. He's a friend from my California Adventure Time who I really respect. He's a good man of God who's doing some really cool things in a challenging area to do church. And I can't wait for you to hear from him from God's Word. Well, uh, my name is Jake, and my wife Nicole and I are from Los Angeles. And uh, we're at the very tail end of a two-week vacation. Uh, We have family in uh, Atlanta, and so we came down to the southeast to hang out with them, spend some time in Florida where it is illegally hot and humid. Um, I've heard a couple of people say that it's been hot here over the last couple of days. Trust me, it's nothing compared to the hell that is Florida. It is, it's brutal. Um, but it's so good to be here. This is our first time in Chicago or the Chicago area. And so we stayed in the city uh, over the, the weekend and got to explore. Such a beautiful place, absolutely magnificent. And then got to have dinner last night with Pastor Luke and with Kristen uh, who evidently trust me enough to just give me free reign of this platform, and they're not even here to hold me accountable. So who knows what could happen in the next, uh, I don't even know, what, 35? How long do I talk for? Just, just talk until someone come and takes a mic? Okay. Uh, two years. Is that what you said? Oh, so I'm done. Great. That's awesome. Yeah. If you guys get bored, you can just get up and walk out, and I'll just, I won't take offense. I'll, I'll keep talking. Um, so we love them. Uh, Pastor Luke and Kristen are, I mean, they're a delight. They're incredible. And uh, just two of the most authentic people that we've met. Um, and w- one of the things that was so striking to us last night as we were having dinner with them is their love for you. The, the way that they talk about you guys is, uh, shouldn't be, but, but is um, a, a kind of a rare thing, the way pastors talk about their church with such genuine love and compassion. And so um, I, would, I would say this if they were in the room, but you guys are you're in such good hands, genuinely, with their, their pastoral care, their leadership. Um, they're truly amazing. So, And this church is just so cool. My, I, I'm jealous of these pews. <laughs> the front of your building is insanely beautiful. I went out there and took a photo. It's amazing. I love it. And so we're... we're Honored to be here, genuinely. So, so pleased. So thank you for having us. I don't know if you had a choice in the matter or not, but uh, we're here now. So uh, we were, uh, like I said, on vacation this week, and um, God gave me this, this simple idea for a message. And so I decided to take some time to write it because I felt like it was maybe for this, this church. And uh, maybe I'll bring it back to my church if they're lucky. If it goes well with you guys, I'll bring it back to them. But Come with me in your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 15 and and verse uh, 7. In in all seriousness, what time does this service usually wrap up? (laughs) 10.15-ish, is that pretty good? Okay, cool, wonderful. 
John chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 7 and 8. You've probably read these words before and have been equally befuddled by them as I often have been and as many people often have been. Jesus says this to his disciples, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. One more time because it's just that good. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, the title of my message this morning is Where God Goes to Hang Out. Where God Goes to Hang Out. And I have a, a simple aim, and the aim is to try and increase our desire our appetite for living miraculous lives, living lives that are marked by the supernatural power of God resting upon us and working through us as we carry out the mission that he's given to us here at Good News in this neighborhood and in the surrounding neighborhoods where uh, we have influence. And I've titled the message, Where God Goes to Hang Out, because I think we see in the scriptures that God has a favorite place to hang out. That's probably a little bit like you. We all could pass the mic down the pews here today and think of and say some places that we love to hang out. Maybe it's a particular room in your home. Maybe if you're like me, it's a special spot in nature where you like to go and just be and think and process. Maybe you like going to your local coffee shop. I don't know. We all have a favorite place to hang out. And what I've noticed is that Business savvy and business minded people have figured out that we like to have places to hang out in, and they capitalize upon that by making places for us where we can go and, and hang out. Um, I don't know if you guys here in, in Palatine, Illinois, do you have anything like a, a float room? Have you heard of a float room? Yeah, it's a special kind of hell. It's, um, it, but, but apparently, it's, it's a, supposed to be a place of peace and relaxation and joy. So a float room is a, a business that you go to, and they have all of these pods. Maybe this is a Los Angeles thing. This is great. I'm, like, talking another language right now. There's all of these pods that have, like, eight inches of, like, really salty water in them. And inside the pod, it is pitch black, and the walls are like six inches thick, and you close a, like a submarine door behind you that's also six inches thick, and you go into this pitch black pod that's like seven feet by four feet, and you lay down in this really salty water, and you float in the dark for an hour. Friends, it's terrifying, right? <laughs> I decided to try this for the first time last year. I thought this is going to be so fun, so relaxing. It's supposed to feel like you're floating in space. And you get into the pod, and there's like a metal railing there that you can kind of hold on to just to kind of keep your bearings. Because as soon as you let go, you feel like completely disoriented, and you don't know where you are. So I'm holding on to the railing, keeping my bearings. And after a few minutes, I decide I'm going to be brave. I'm going to let go of the railing. Not 30 seconds go by where I am absolutely losing my mind, freaking out. I, I get to the, I kid you not, I stand up in this pitch black, four foot tall pod, and I'm feeling my way around the wall because I want to get out of this place, but I can't find the door. And there, you know how they say in space, nobody can hear you scream? 
That's true. Because I was, <laughs> I was standing in this spot. And I was literally going, help, help. <laughs> you ever been embarrassed for yourself when you're by yourself? <laughs> I don't like to hang out in float rooms. My wife, Nicole, and I, there's a, a place uh, just about two hours north of Los Angeles uh, called Santa Inez. Santa Inez is uh, wine country, and it's absolutely stunning. It's rolling green hills and vineyards everywhere you look. And there's one particular vineyard that we love to go to there, and you've got to drive like 15 minutes down their dirt driveway to get to where the seating area is, where you can just sit and maybe enjoy a glass of wine, maybe some cheese and crackers, and you're just looking out at these lush green hills. It's like being in a beautiful garden. And, and that's our favorite place to hang out. And it turns out that we're in good company because as far as I can tell, God likes to hang out in those kinds of places too. God likes to hang out in gardens. In fact, the, the context for the passage that we just read a moment ago is, is the beginning of John chapter 15 and verse 1. Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. So God likes gardens. God likes gardens so much that gardens aren't just the place where he goes to hang out. Gardens are the place where God goes to work. He's, he's a gardener, and like every single avid gardener, he enjoys not just being in the garden, but God enjoys making the garden fruitful. In fact, I think the preeminent reason that God loves gardens is because God loves fruitfulness. God loves life. You think about who God is. The Bible tells us that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is eternally triune. And the reason Jesus can give you eternal life is because the God of the Bible is himself eternal life. In other words, we could say that God is eternally fruitful. And so, of course, when he makes you and I in his image, it makes sense that it would bring God joy and pleasure, that it would delight him to partner with us in order to produce fruitfulness in the world that is reflective of who he is. And this is my first point today. It's really basic, but it might be good to write it down. It's that fruitful gardens has always been the goal. Fruitful gardens has always been the goal. Of course, when you think about gardens in the context of the Bible, probably a lot of us, we start to think of the preeminent garden itself, the Garden of Eden. And this is the original place where God would go to hang out with his people, with Adam and Eve, and he tells them there to be fruitful and to multiply, to partner with him, to increase what it is that he has begun. And, and it wasn't like God gave them a job and then said, peace, I'll see you later. No, God hung out with them in the garden. He would dwell with them in that place. In Genesis 3 and verse 8, it says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from him because this was after they sinned. But the scripture tells us that God used to walk with Adam and Eve in that garden. He, he likes hanging out in fruitful places. And of course, we lost that garden, but God in his grace did not give up on us. God formed a nation whom he named Israel, among whom he could dwell and with whom he could partner to reach the world, to be fruitful. And it's really interesting that the places that God had Israel construct for him to hang out in 
are depictions of that original Garden of Eden. Moses' tabernacle, Solomon's temple, when you read the descriptions of them, they are very garden-like. The floral engravings in the wood, the, the precious stones on the breastplate of the priests were depictive of the stones that were in Eden. Even the, the, the words that, that are used in Hebrew to describe Adam working and keeping the garden, those are the same Hebrew words that describe the priestly activity in the tabernacle in the temple. So the Bible is clear to us that these are, they're carrying on the imagery of God's garden throughout the scriptures. Look at Leviticus chapter 26, verses 9 to 12. God says this, I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers. And I will keep my covenant with you. You, this is, this is crazy, listen to this. You will still be eating last year's harvest, this is how fruitful you're going to be, when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. That's some good news right there. I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. I will walk, same word as, as God walking in the Garden of Eden. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. So Israel is the people and, and the place where God is going to hang out. It's the garden he's gonna be in and make fruitful. And God loves this, by the way. God, God does not begrudge gardening. Sometimes we're a little apprehensive maybe to come to church or to go to Bible study or to spend our, our morning in, in prayer and, and devotion with God. And we can be a bit apprehensive to talk to God honestly about the things going on in our lives because maybe we think God can't be bothered or God's rolling his eyes because there I go making that same mistake again. But friends, God is a gardener and he loves to garden. It's, it's what he does. It's, it's who he is. Maybe you've been a part of this church for three, six months, and you weren't expecting it, but this church is like really in your business. You find that? Like maybe you've made some friends, and they actually care about the way you live and the choices you make and, and how you conduct your life. Like, man, I didn't know God wanted to be in, God wants to be in your business because God likes rolling up his sleeves, getting his hands into the soil, and gardening because God loves fruitfulness. He wants to dwell in our midst and make us fruitful as a people. It's, what, it's God's vision of the good life. So much so that it even became Israel's vision of the good life as well. In Micah chapter 4 and verse 4, this is what you call um, an eschatological verse. Eschatology is the, the study or the knowledge of last things, of, of, of how this is all going to work out. And this was Israel's picture of, of where the whole thing was headed. Micah 4, 4, everyone will sit under their own vine. And under their own fig tree. It sounds so relaxing, doesn't it? And no one will make them afraid for the Lord Almighty has spoken. So, so even their picture of the good life was hanging out in, in a garden. You might say that you and I are actually wired to want to hang out in the same kinds of places where God likes to hang out. When I think about that in, in the context of the church in the New Testament, it makes me think that our aim as the church should be to, well, to build a church where God loves to be. Because if we can build a church where God loves to be, it seems to me that by nature it will also be a place where people love to be as well. God is our, our primary audience. When we come into this place and we sing these songs and when we give and when we come around the scriptures, our main concern is not with impressing people. Our main concern is with glorifying God. Because if this is a place where God loves to be, then that creates an environment, an atmosphere where people 
genuinely walk in and go, there is something different about this place compared to every other place that I go. And that brings us to the fulfillment of the garden analogy, which is Jesus Christ and his church. If God likes a garden, then it makes sense that the incarnate Son of God also likes gardens. In John chapter 18, verse 1 and 2, it says, When he, Jesus, had finished praying, he left with his disciples and he crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden. And he and his disciples, they went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place. Why? Because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Jesus was in the habit of hanging out in a garden with his closest followers. And in fact, it was on the way to this garden on this very night when Jesus said to his disciples, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. And then a couple of verses later in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you, church, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the picture there is that when humanity is joined to Jesus through the Holy Spirit, like when we, when we become unified with Christ, we become what the Bible calls the church. In other words, we become the garden of God, the place where God loves to hang out. I, I don't know about you, I spent a lot of years of my life where this was all just kind of lost on me. The gathering together of God's people, just kind of viewing it as, uh, I guess, some kind of sacred gathering, it's special and, and holy in, in some kind of way, but not understanding the, the full depth that when we get together, God is here. How might your expectation notch up if you showed up to church going, God's going to be there? And He's not here begrudgingly. He's here because he wants to be here. Because this is his garden, and God is a gardener, and he loves to be in his garden, and he loves to make us fruitful. In other words, God loves to do wonderful works in the lives of his church that point to him and that glorify him. Now, this would be a good moment in the message to kind of just pause and ask the question, what exactly do we mean by fruitfulness? It's kind of a vague word, and people can fill in the blank however they want. I think, biblically speaking, if you were to paint with a really broad brush, you would say that fruitfulness is the spread of God's reign in partnership with God's people. The spread of God's reign in partnership with God's people. And in some way, the spread of God's reign, of God's kingdom, is marked by miracles, it's marked by the transformation and redemption of human lives. Some of you have been followers of Jesus long enough to, to, to know that you, you can point to people in your friendship circle or in your family, maybe even you can point to yourself where your own life and where you are is, it is the marking of God's miraculous hand at work in your life because you simply shouldn't even be sitting here in this pew this morning. But God got a hold of you. God's kingdom got established in your heart. God's kingdom spread, and it is 
miraculous. Some of you have seen God work miracles, even heal sick and broken bodies, and that has led to the salvation of people who are far from him. God's kingdom is spreading, and it is marked by the miraculous. And it's always in partnership with his people. And it's always marked by God's signature of abundance. I mean, think again of that Leviticus passage that we read earlier. You'll still be eating last year's harvest by the time you have to move it out and make room for the new. That's how much God loves to make his garden fruitful. That's how much he loves to bless his people that you would deal with such miracles, with such abundance that you wouldn't even have time to finish the first miracle before God is already ready to do the next. And he wants to do that through you and I. That's how God works. There's always two motions to the kingdom of God throughout the Bible. There's a downward motion that God brings, and there's an outward motion that people bring in partnership with him. So God's kingdom comes down into the Garden of Eden, and then Adam and Eve are to go out and be fruitful and multiply, to take that garden reality throughout the rest of the world. God's kingdom comes down at Sinai to to Moses, and then Israel are to be a light out to the nations. God's kingdom comes down when Jesus is incarnate and inserts himself into humanity, and then the disciples are to go out and make disciples citizens of this kingdom. God's kingdom comes down at Pentecost through the presence of the Holy Spirit, and they are empowered to actually fulfill that wild mission that they've been given by the Lord. There's the downward motion that God brings, but there's always supposed to be the outward motion that you and I bring, and that outward motion is not meant to be ordinary. It's not meant to be like you and I are just another club or gathering of people that have a special interest, and that's what unites us together. No, what unites us together is we are filled with the same Holy Spirit who empowers us for miraculous ministry to see miraculous transformation in people's lives here in Palatine as it is in heaven. Did I warn you that I shout? I shout. I'm so sorry. He supernaturally empowers us to see sins forgiven. Is it lost on us how miraculous it is that our sins can be forgiven? It wasn't lost on the first century Jews when Jesus said to the man on the mat, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees were like, whoa, no one can forgive sins, but God. Jesus has given this authority to the church to pronounce forgiveness in his name over people. To see sicknesses healed. I love to pray for sick people. And sometimes, not every time, sometimes I see people get healed. I see them get to experience the mercy of their Father in heaven and ultimately to see souls saved, people come into the the kingdom of God. It's miraculous, and we get to partner with God in that. How does this partnership work? Because that's a really big order. And and if you're like me, you're, you're aware of the fact that you are fragile and frail many times fearful and oftentimes sinful, how is it that we are supposed to partner with the almighty, holy God in this task of miraculous gardening? Well, I think that that admission of our frailty and sinfulness is actually the best biblical place to start. In fact, Jesus said it like this. This is a crazy phrase. He said, um, blessed, that word blessed means happy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who recognize that they are spiritually bankrupt. 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Anybody here poor in spirit? Yeah? Okay. The rest of you are liars. It's great. Yeah. We, we are all stricken by spiritual poverty. We have, we have no spiritual wealth of our own. We're marked by sin. And Jesus has the audacity to go, cool, if you can confess that, then the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Yours is the kingdom. In other words, you don't just get to come into this kingdom's gates. You get to go all the way into the throne room. And you get to reign with Christ, partner with him to see the miraculous spread of his kingdom. Which means that if fruitfulness has always been the goal, then point number two, faith has always been the key. What is faith? I think faith is most simply described as confident trust in God, in who he is and in what he can do, his character and his capability. Sometimes um, in our kind of modern way of thinking, we conflate, conflate faith with like per perfect positive thinking, like a perfectly positive mindset all the time. And if I can just stay positive and minimize or ignore all of my doubts, then, then, then God's going to work with me and God's going to do something really cool. And so we're, like, we're, we're really frustrated a lot of the time because we can't seem to master our minds. Like you, you ever think your thoughts and go, where did that thought come from? Sometimes I have thoughts come ahead. I'm like, that, that ain't me. What the heck? But it is me. It's my, it's my, my flesh, the Bible calls it, my sin nature. And, and so if you and I are relying on our perfect positive thinking for God to use us, we might as well pack up and go home right now because <laughs> that's not, not going to happen for us. Faith is not your perfect positive thinking without the presence of doubts. Faith is your faithful obedience to do what God says, even sometimes in the presence of your doubt. If God were limited to moving through our perfect thoughts, then, then we're stuck. But God doesn't move through the perfection of our thoughts. He moves through the obedience of our hearts. And if we're honest, a lot of times the obedience of our hearts, it's mingled with this sense of dependent weakness that I am fragile and I am frail and God has called me to do something significant and I am completely unqualified and incapable of doing that, and unless God does something really big, then it's, it's not going to happen. Great. That's what faith looks like. Faith is, is God doing the big thing while you and I just do the right thing. And the right thing is whatever God has commanded us to do. Maybe it's a prophetic word that you were given in terms of something that you should do. Maybe it's a command from Scripture that you and I need to obey. And God promises, I'm going to do the big thing. If, if you'll just go, disciples, then I'm going to empower you to make disciples of the whole world. He gave that command to like 11 dudes. Have you met men? I see the women laughing because they've met some men. I'm going to try this half of the room. Have you, have you met men? Jesus said to 11 men, I can't administrate my way out of a paper bag. And he said to 11 dudes, I want you to go into the whole world and disciple them. And it's happening. The miraculous spread of God's kingdom in partnership with God's people. Meant to be marked by miracles. By you and I just waking up and doing the right thing. We see this all throughout the Bible. 
consider God's invitation to humanity every time he sets out to partner with them. He says to Noah, uh, Noah, I'm starting over with humanity. We're going to restart this whole project, and you're my guy. I'm going to do it through you. This is a really big deal, Noah. And so, Noah, here's going to be your part in this. Um, I want you to build a boat. He says to Abraham, Abraham, uh, I'm going to make you into the father of many nations. Like, I'm working through you, Abraham. You're my guy. And here's your part in Abraham. I just want you to start taking a walk. He says to Moses, Moses, I'm going to use you to deliver millions of people out of Egyptian slavery, and you're my guy to do it. And uh, uh, that stick in your hand looks like the, the way to go about accomplishing that. He, he says to Israel, Israel, okay, now I'm taking you into that promised land, the land that I promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and now is the time we're going to cross the Jordan River. We're going into the promised land, and, and here's going to be your part, and it. it's going to be great. We're going to walk around the walls of Jericho for seven days, and then on the seventh day, this is crazy. Wow, so powerful. Here's what you're going to do, Israel. On the seventh day, you're going to shout as loud as you can, and the walls are going to fall down. Friends, that's ridiculous. That's faith. Faith is you and I in obedience doing the right thing and trusting that God will do the big thing. So it, it makes sense then that when we come to the fulfillment of God's garden, which is the church, that we would get such a command like this in John 6, 29. This is what Jesus said. This is crazy. He said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. Hey, people, here it is. My kingdom is coming. I'm making all things new. I'm turning hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. I'm gonna put a new spirit in people. I'm cultivating my fruitful garden. And here's, what, here's your role. Believe. Believe, just like, believe. Yeah, believe. Believe what? Believe that even though humanity failed to be the fruitful vine, Jesus, his own words, is the true vine. And that when you and I are connected to him like branches in that vine, we ourselves become the fruitful garden of God. It's fruitfulness by faith, bearing miraculous Jesus expounds on this, this imagery in that first passage that we read, coming back around to that, John 15, 7 and 8. He says it this way, here's faith. Faith is you remaining in me and my words remaining in you. And then the outcome of that is that you're going to ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Like if that, if those words don't mess with you, then... I mean, that's, that's a wild thing to say. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So Jesus says, here's what it means to, to be faithful. Faithful and faith, by the way, are the same word in Greek and Hebrew. So, so again, faith is not perfect positive thinking. It's just faithfulness to God. It's just heartfelt obedience to him. And here's what that obedience looks like. It's to remain in Jesus and let his words remain in us. Jesus goes on in, in verse 10 to, uh, to describe that a little bit more. To remain in me, Jesus says, is to love me, is to have loving relationship with me. 
and to have my words remain in you, Jesus says, is to obey my command. Now, in John's gospel, there's only one command that Jesus ever gives. So John's very intentional with us understanding the summarizing theme of Jesus' message. And that command is given to us in John 15, 12. Jesus says, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. So this is faith. To remain in Jesus and have his words remain in us, which means to love Jesus and to love his people. To love the Lord with all that we are and to love his bride, to love his church. And that's what it means to believe in him and to live by faith. And here's the incredible good news. And it makes so much sense, doesn't it? It's so in line with what God said to Noah and what God said to Abraham and what God said to Israel. Here's my command. It doesn't seem like it should accomplish the mission that I have for you. But if you just do this simple, if you just love the Lord and love his bride, that will make you into the garden where I, God, love to be. And because I'm there, I'm going to make you really fruitful. Friend, showing up on Sunday to adore Christ, to, to sing with, I mean, these guys can sing. You guys can't sing that well, but these guys can sing. But God has built-in autotune in his ears, and so you all sound good to him. It's, it's wonderful. But to show up and adore Jesus and, and to serve one another, that's loving Jesus and loving the church. God, that makes God go, man, I can't wait to get there. And there's a lot of churches where they don't love Jesus. And they don't love one another very well. But if we can just be a people who love the Lord and love his bride, that makes God want to be present. When, when you show up to Bible study to get good with your Bible, is that our phrase? We get good with our Bibles here. When you show up to Bible study to get good with your Bible, that also is loving Jesus. It's loving him with your mind as you study the scriptures. It's loving one another because you're submitting yourself to a process of maturity so that, so that your life can be of benefit to the people who are sitting around you in this room right now. And let's not forget the mechanism, the activity Jesus himself connects to this fruitfulness is prayer. You ask anything you wish, that's praying, and it will be done for you. Your prayers will be marked by miraculous activity, God working through you in, in really powerful ways. Why don't I have the band come up? I'm out of time. I've brought too many notes. Recently, uh, I was in uh, Dallas, Texas. It was the beginning of last year. Sometimes I get my years mixed up. I can't remember if it was last year or this year. I was in Dallas, Texas at the start of the year. I was preaching at a church's conference there for their like New Year, start the year right conference. And um, it was a really cool experience, actually. It was a, you know, Bible charismatic church. And uh, for, for every single day of the conference at noon, they brought in this Anglican priest who would share a little bit and then facilitate communion for everybody who was able to make it out during the day and, and take part in communion. And so I got to be a part of that on the day that I was there. And his name was Father David. And Father David was like the most Texan Anglican priest you could ever picture. Like he had super dirty cowboy boots on and like really rugged black jeans. He still had his priestly shirt and collar though. So he made sure to keep it professional. And uh, Father David was, was sharing before he facilitated communion for us. He, he told this amazing story. Right before uh, COVID-19 happened, 
he had started a side business, because I guess even Anglican priests need side hustles, so, you know, we're all on the same. So he starts this, this side business, and it's so Texan. His, his side business is smoking and selling barbecue. So I am immediately in with this guy. I'm like, cool, I love you. Let's, great. Do you guys eat barbecue here in Chicago? Is that a thing? Yeah, yeah. It's probably not very good, though, right? Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from, our barbecue sucks in Los Angeles, so, you know. Um, so he has the side business of smoking and, and selling barbecue, and then when the pandemic happens, he decides one of the ways that he can serve his community is by providing free barbecue for people. So he starts doing that, and it's really great blessing, and then one day this woman from a local ministry calls him and asks if he can come and provide uh, barbecue for her group of people that she serves and of course, he obliges that. And the thing that he tells us is that barbecue is math. So the, the average person eats an average weight, average amount of barbecue. And so when you're preparing barbecue for a large group of people, you just take the amount of people and multiply it by the weight, and that's how much meat you prepare. So he wakes up super early on the morning of the lunch, and he prepares all the barbecue. He loads it in the coolers, puts it in his truck, and he drives it to this event and drops it off for these 100 people who are going to eat this barbecue. That's a lot of barbecue that he had to smoke. And he unloads it, and then he's exhausted. So he goes home, takes a nap, wakes up later that night, and uh, he has a phone call from the woman at the ministry. And his first thought is, oh, man, I must not have prepared enough barbecue. So he answers the phone, and the woman from the ministry says, what, what did you do? He goes, what do you mean? She goes, well, there's an entirely too much food here. He says, well, no, I... I checked the math. I had my wife check the math, in fact. Made sure that I prepared exactly the right amount of barbecue for the amount of people at your event. And she goes, well, that might be the case, but every single time the people who serve in my ministry went back to the coolers to get more barbecue, the coolers just kept on being full. And they ended up having enough barbecue for that group of people to eat off of for three days. And that's not even the coolest part of the story. The coolest part of the story is that on that morning of the event, when Father David woke up to start preparing the meat, the woman woke up in her home, and she did her morning devotional time. And it just so happened that the passage that morning that she was reading in her morning devotional time was Jesus feeding the 5,000. And she read that story, and this woman is so silly to read the Bible and think that God could still do now I mean, that's ridiculous. Could still do now what he did back then. And with her simple faith, the faith of a weak person in a great God, she read that story and she goes, God, I would love to see something like that in my lifetime. And evidently, the halls of heaven echoed with God's answer. How about today? Because God loved, he just loved Jesus and loved one another. And that makes us into God's garden where God will be. And if God's here, God's going to do miracles. God's going to produce miraculous fruit that will equal the spread of his kingdom throughout Palatine, throughout all the surrounding neighborhoods. His reign coming into people's hearts. Your neighbor, your coworker, your boss, that person that you don't like very much, God wants to reach them too through you. 
might be a miracle. You might be thinking, that's not possible. That's why it means that God has to be involved. Why don't we stand to our feet? Do you ever do this? Do you ever put your hands out like that? Why don't we do that? Father God, we thank you for your gracious and glorious presence. We thank you that you're here in the room. Jesus, we need you. We're, we're branches. And that's why we're so grateful that you're a vine. And that you have said to us, if we have faith in you, if we believe, if we love you, then we will abide in you. That will be an actual reality. Just as a head is connected to its body, just as a man is connected to his wife, so we are one with you. And this is what you desired. And in being one with you, we are brought into the triune life of God with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you dwelling in our midst and us dwelling in your midst. And God, if that's the formula then surely the outcome is miracles. Surely, God, because you're involved, we can believe for miraculous things to happen. Let's just take a moment and wait on God. Maybe there's a problem, a pain point in your own life, or the life of someone close to you that you're aware of right now. Why don't you bring that to mind? Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask, because you invited us to ask. I ask for your power to break into every single area of pain, and decay, Lord, that is represented by this room right now. Through your mighty power, Lord God, would you come, would you work miracles in these situations? Glorify your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, this is the place where you've put your name, your people, your garden. Would you glorify your name by bearing fruit in this church? Father God, would you bear the fruit of salvation in this church as we reach our neighbors? Would you bear the fruit of healing, Lord God, as people recover from sickness and disease? Would you bear the fruit of marital repair where there is breakdown? Would, would you bear the fruit, Lord God, of recovering prodigals where sons and daughters have run? Would you bear the fruit, Lord, of mending families where there's been departure from just as you say in your word, Lord, would you turn the hearts of fathers to their sons and the hearts of sons to their fathers in the name of Jesus? Is there, uh, actually, is there somebody here right now, uh, a dad, who that's for? There's some, maybe some difficulty, maybe even an estrangement from, from you to your, your boy. Is there anybody? Just give me a little wave. Say yes to me. Yeah, I had a feeling it was you, sir. Sometimes when I pray, I just get little leadings by the Holy Spirit on certain things. And so 
Father, we pray for this man. What's your name? Brian. Yeah, Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for Brian right now. Church, let's stretch out our hands towards Brian. We thank you, Lord, that Brian is your son, and you're the perfect father. And God, one of your promises to us in Scripture is that when the kingdom breaks in, the hearts of sons turn to their fathers and fathers to sons. So we pray, Lord, today for miraculous recovery in this relationship. Whatever decay, whatever war the powers of darkness have waged, we bind it in the name of Jesus and we pray for repair and we pray for mutual love and self-giving. God, heal Brian's heart. Lord, that he would be able to reach out not, not as one wounded and in pain, but as, as one who can minister through love, even out of his wounds. I pray for trust and understanding in Jesus' mighty name. This has been the Good News Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is Good News.